0: Well, folks, if you have your Bibles, um, I want to encourage you to uh, turn with me here to our verse of the week, which is from Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, but we're going to be bouncing around to several passages uh, today. We're in this message today is um, first things first, and we've been in this grace of giving Series now for about three weeks. We brought the Christmas bonus message in and kind of put it together with this series, and we looked at the principle of sowing and reaping. And then last week, We uh, went through the message resourced to resource and we looked at the principle of multiplication and how God is the owner of all things and he puts things into our hands and we're to steward these things and as we steward them our desire should be to multiply things in the kingdom, not things in our own kingdom. And then the last principle here we'll be covering here in this particular series is the principle of tithing. And I realize that tithing can be a sensitive subject to talk about, um, and not everybody sees eye to eye on this subject. And uh, sometimes pastors and teachers can shy away from this subject due to what people might think. Uh, you know, Pastor Russ is just wanting our money, and uh, you know we're not in the middle of a campaign right now, so just relax. And I'm not trying to be grabby about this. I'm just trying to look at the subject and walk through it. What does the Bible say about this particular subject? And it's important to note that some amazing um, and honorable followers of Christ don't see eye to eye on this topic. Uh, Different people share different convictions and reasons for those convictions, and I'll walk through a little bit of that uh, today. Some notable theologians that would say that the tithe is something that is in effect today are guys like Charles Stanley... David Jeremiah, Tony Evans, perhaps you've heard of some of these individuals, and other individuals that might lean more towards the fact that the tithe is not in effect today for believers would be guys like John Piper, Francis Chan, Charles Spurgeon, if you've heard of any of these guys. So these are some amazing godly people that don't necessarily see eye to eye. On this topic. And today I'm going to share my heart with you on this subject. And I'll tell you right now, you are absolutely free to disagree with me on the subject. That's totally fine. Uh, That's your personal conviction. And personally, I enjoy walking through uh, the series that we've had the last few weeks. I made a huge point two weeks ago that God loves it when His children have fun giving. And I just think it's a joy, it's a blessing to be a giver. And um, I think it's important to unpack that. If you don't hear about these things from your church, where else are you going to hear about these things? Okay? And I think it's fun to give, and many of you also enjoy the grace of giving. And in our home, our personal conviction is that the tithe is for today, and we've even taught that with Judah. And I want to kick things off just with a little story But um, Judah, every now and then, will be at work in Brian and Bonnie's shop in Fort Dodge, and then he'll get kicked a few dollars here and there for, you know, doing a project or, you know, whatever it is that he might be getting his hands into. And one day he made about $2.50. Woo! And then Dad showed up and then began to teach him about the tithe. So he had $2 bills and two quarters. And I said, Judah, I want to have a little lesson with you. I said, I want to talk to you about what the tithe is. It's important to mommy and daddy, and we want to teach this to you. And so 10% of your $2.50, that is something that you need to give to Jesus. And so I pulled one quarter back, and I took it, and I said, so this right here belongs to Jesus. And he seemed to be okay with that. And it kind of warmed our heart, you know, that he was like, yeah, that's fine. Well, and so then he, he, and he goes, can I give this other quarter to Jesus? I know, I was like, oh, yes, you can. I said, do you, do you want to? And he goes, no. <laughs> this just heartwarming moment, it's like, that right there is our flesh, right there. But these are little lessons with $2.50. And we want him to understand uh, the way we see things from the Scriptures and um, be able to equip him... To walk in the same manner, even when it's a quarter. But that other quarter, I tell you what, there's something inside of us that can, I don't know if I really want to do that or not. But I want to give you a little history lesson here on the tithe and it kind of looking from it uh, from the standpoint of the Jews and the Old Testament. The Jews actually had three different tithes, which is kind of interesting. The first tithe they had was called the Lord's Tithe, also known as the Levite Tithe. And I want to explain it to you. Basically, the purpose of the Levite Tithe or the Lord's Tithe was to equip the work of the ministry that was going on in the nation of Israel. So Leviticus 27 verse 30 it says that all the tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, it's the Lord's, it is holy to the Lord. And so that first tithe they would give, that first 10%, was known as the Lord's tithe. Okay, and it would support the temple, it would support the priests, which was incredibly important if Israel was going to be faithful in its calling. And so, before we continue to unpack more of these passages, let's take a moment to pray and ask the Lord's grace and blessing um, upon our time in the Word together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for the ministry of Your Spirit through the Word. I pray that our hearts would uh, just be open to receive the things that You want to say to us today. And so, Lord, we just invite You to come and minister to our hearts and lives. And we pray also for the children's ministry as they're meeting today to bless their time in the word. We thank you in Jesus name. Amen. So other things regarding the Lord's tithe was in second chronicles thirty one four where Hezekiah commanded that people contribute in supporting the priests and the Levites. And then in verse 4 of Second Chronicles 31, it says, so that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. So they know that they're taken care of, they're supported, which allows them to devote themselves to the ministry of the word of God. Numbers 18.21 also talks about uh, how God has given the children of Levi, that would be the priestly line, he says, all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meeting. So there was a second tithe that Jews would give, and it was called the festival tithe, and you can pull that from Deuteronomy 12. And essentially, this additional 10% paid for all of the celebrations that people would have um, as a nation. And then there was another tithe that would take place every three years. So every year, it would be a third of the three-year tithe. And Deuteronomy 26 talks about this and giving to the Levite, the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat and be filled and it says then you shall uh, say before the lord your god i have removed the holy tithe from my house and given it to them according to all your commandments which you have commanded me so every year the jews tithed around 23.3% of their resources And that doesn't count free will offerings, temple taxes, and other things like that along the way. Their giving most likely exceeded 25%. And so that's kind of how they lived. And part of that was the ways in which they were instructed and commanded to live and how to give. And what gets debated today is the first one, the Lord's tithe, the the 10%, and, and tithe means tenth. And so you go, wait a second, how this tithe for the needy, how is that 3.3? Well, that's because it's something that's every three years. So just divide 10 by 3, that's your proximate number, okay? So what gets debated today is the Lord's tithe, and that is the one that Leviticus states is unto the Lord. And those with the conviction that the tithe is not for today may state that we are no longer under the Old Testament law like the Jews were. We're now in the New Covenant. And so things are different. And they might quote or reference Romans 7 for that. You're welcome to go with me there, but these verses will be on the screen. Romans 7, verses 4 and verse 6. It says, You died to the law, through the body of Christ. So as you come to Christ and receive salvation, you've now died to the law and there's a new way. You now live in the new covenant. In verse 6, And by dying to to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. So in other words, they would say that Jesus has fulfilled the law for us And now we have the law of Christ, and therefore we no longer observe things like tithing that are mentioned in the Old Testament. And if we take that a step further, they might also say that if we insist that tithing is still in effect today, we actually nullify the sacrifice of Christ and we return to this idea that we're earning our salvation by keeping the Old Testament law. So again, spiritual giants, people that are great teachers through the years, this is their conviction. But I do want to point out that even though they might have that conviction, there's some things that some of these guys say in regards to giving. And I want to start here by looking at some words of John Piper. He says, a middle-class American who is only tithing 10% is probably robbing God. Now, this is a guy who would say the tithe would not be something in effect today. He says, in other words, we've become so accustomed to our Western prosperity and its ways of life that we think 5 or 10% is generous. That's from Piper. He goes on to say, we should value our riches in Christ so highly, and our freedom from sin so highly, and our gospel so highly, that we would simply love to give. And we should outgive those who were under the Old Testament law, because everything is greater with Christ. So why wouldn't our giving be greater? Interesting perspective. Charles Spurgeon says, This absence of law and rule doesn't mean that you are therefore to give less than the Jews, but rather you should give more, because if I rightly understand what is implied in the term of Christian liberality, it is to be according to the example of, Of Christ Himself. You think Christ came and He gave it all so that we could be set free from sin. And then we can get caught up in the percentages like we've somehow reached a certain point where I think that's enough. So while these guys' conviction is that there is no longer a mandate to give a tithe or a tenth, they do affirm that in the New Testament age that we live in today, we should actually be doing more than a tithe. Okay? And there's actually a problem with uh, both views. Um, where I call it the off-the-hook problem. Okay? If you have the conviction that the tithe is not for today, um, then you feel like you're off the hook and you don't have to give anything. Okay? I'm good to go. I live in the age of grace, and so you just kind of are flipping about it. Okay, The other side, the off-the-hook problem, is they, a person that thinks the tithe is for today, and they give that 10%, and then they feel like, hey, I've given my 10%, I'm now off the hook. And both of those would be wrong perspectives to have in regards to giving. We need to be sensitive to whatever it is the Holy Spirit is trying to say, and not be so legalistic about it. So I do want to share my conviction with you and feeling that it is something that is in effect today. And that the principle of tithing is something that I see that sits outside of the law that was given. And it starts with two brothers by the name of Cain and Abel. In Genesis 4, 2 through 5, it says that when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Verse 4, Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel's gift, but he did not accept Cain's gift. So we see in that particular passage what made Abel's acceptable and what made Cain's unacceptable. And I think obviously it's a hard issue, but part of that hard issue is one gave the best and the other one gave just some of his crops. So there's a teaching here of what's known as the first fruits, the best Portion, the first portion. Proverbs three verse nine, this is our verse for the week. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. Okay, in Exodus twenty three, verse nineteen, it says, As you harvest your crops, bring the very best of the first harvest to the house of the Lord your God. In Genesis 14, we hear a story here of Abraham and this character, this individual named Melchizedek, and there's a lot of things with Melchizedek that are kind of a mystery to a certain extent, but Melchizedek was either Jesus Christ himself or a symbolic representation of Christ, and Abraham comes to him. In Genesis 14 and in verse 18 it says, And Melchizedek, the king of Salem and a priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. And Melchizedek passed Abram with this blessing. He says, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth of all the goods that he recovered. This is before the law was given. This was his response to Melchizedek. Now, Abraham eventually becomes Abraham, and he has a grandson by the name of Jacob. And in Genesis 28, verse 22, Jacob is setting up a pillar, and he's going to name this place Bethel, which means God's house or house of God. And as he's setting this up, Jacob's speaking to God, and he says, "'This stone which I have set up for a pillar,' Will be God's house. Of all that you give me, I will surely give the tenth to you. So you see this principle being played out with Abram, now with his grandson Jacob. And then I also see it in the New Testament. Okay, Jesus is having a moment here with these religious people. And the problem that these religious people had is they, they were very, very good with all their rules, but they weren't very good with grace and reaching out to those in need. And so there's a certain point when the tithe comes up in conversation And they were tithing all kinds of things, right down to even the spices. They were very particular about this. And Jesus' response in Matthew 23 and also Luke 11, He says, yes, you should tithe, but do not neglect the more important things. So on top of the tithe, I want you to be taking care of the poor and the needy, not neglecting that. That's where I said there's the the, um, -the off-the-hook problem Like once I give the tithe, then I'm just off the hook. Jesus is saying, no. Take care of people in need. Okay, But I also see how that particular verse could be used on both sides of of the aisle with that. Just how I explained it. But if you are somebody that believes that the new covenant uh, era has come, um, this moment where Jesus said, yes, you should tithe, happened before the new covenant began. So at that point, you could say, well, Jesus was just telling them to do something under the Old Covenant way. I I understand that. I get that. Again, coming back to that personal conviction. In Hebrews 7, this guy, Melchizedek, comes back up again. Okay, so Abraham, our spiritual father, tied to Melchizedek, who was either Christ himself or a symbolic representation of Christ. And in Hebrews 7, verse 8... It says, here on on earth mortal men receive tithes, but there he, Jesus, receives them of whom it is witnessed that he lives. And some people see this verse as a verse that's stating that Jesus receives today's tithes in heaven. Tony Evans talks about this. He says, This practice and purpose of tithing continued in the New Testament since Jesus continues the priesthood of Melchizedek, who received a tithe from Abraham. We already covered that from back in Genesis 14. So another passage here is in Malachi chapter 3, and this is verses 6 through 12. It says, For I am the Lord, I do not change. Therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Yet from the days of your fathers you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return? Then in verse 8, God says, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? And then God said, In tithes and offerings. I just want to point out that those are separated out. My personal conviction is there's the tithe, and then anything above that would be considered an offering, free will offering. Okay? In my own home, there's no debating about the tithe. We don't need to pray about that. That is where we're at, that is what we do. But the Prayer would come in these moments where God might be asking us to give in a free will offering. Maybe God's asking us to bless an organization, to bless a neighbor, you name it. Those are things that we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit about, asking Him, is there things you want me to be doing that's outside of the tithe? But as this verse goes on, it says, "...you are cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me, even this whole nation." Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. So I want to focus in on that word storehouse. Other places it's called treasury. But in First Chronicles 28, King David gave his son Solomon plans for building the temple. And these are plans that David had that were from the Spirit of God, and these plans included the space to worship, including the staffing that would be there serving people that would come to worship, These plans included the services that would be offered at the temple and it also included the supplies that would be needed at the temple for these things to be conducted. And this all had to be provided through the people's tithes and offerings. Charles Stanley likens the Old Testament storehouse to the New Testament church. So generally, storehouse meant God's tabernacle or temple in the Old Testament. And if you liken it to the church today, you can consider these things. People bring their tithes and offerings when they gather together for worship, and it provides for the space that's needed to worship. It provides for the staffing that is brought in to help with the ministry. It provides for the services that are offered in that ministry, and it supplies uh, the supplies that are needed to do ministry, all in an effort to advance the kingdom of God. Okay? Let me just take a second here, because I just feel like we've covered quite a bit of ground. And in a message like this, again, the sensitivity of the topic, our church is so blessed the grace of giving is just unbelievable here. Blows me away. Okay? And this message is not coming to you and that we're scraping the barrel and we need you to, to get convicted about this message today so that our offering is massive and we've got another three months that we're able to move forward. God has blessed this church in so many ways. And I can think back even to the COVID season when... I think a lot of things were up in the air, and one of those things was even, what are people's finances going to be like with all these things shutting down? And we were doing ministry through video, and we were putting it out there for people uh, to see. And one of the things that was on my heart was that when we have these videos go out, I do not want to ask for money. And there was ministry after ministry. That was just a part of their videos as they're reaching out to people. They'd have their ways to give and their giving links and they'd be asking for that. And my heartbeat was, let's just preach the gospel and let's let the Lord take care of the needs. And we pressed forward in that and God's grace was at work and we had a phenomenal year in 2020. And so I just want to express that to you as a congregation. The Lord has blessed us in amazing ways to focus in and to do ministry in an effective way. And there's a responsibility on the church to make sure that we're managing and stewarding the resources that come in, and we do it very prayerfully. And there's many council meetings where we'll stop the meeting and we will just pray because we watch God continue to bring resources in. And we know that with that comes a strong responsibility as a church to be effective. And so here's some things that I think are a part of what it looks like to be an effective church. The very first item on there is to be a church that preaches and teaches the authoritative inspired infallible and inerrant word of God that's the number one thing for being an effective church a church also needs to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ okay a church that's effective should love like you can't believe they should move in the power of the Holy Spirit I think an effective church should also be a church that calls for obedience to God and not just tries to tickle your ears to make you feel good but what does it look like to actually walk in obedience and sometimes that can be a very hard thing to hear but when we say God's word is authoritative we come underneath that and we align our lives with his word To be a church that seeks out and and, and is a witness to those who are lost. And then a church that listens to God's voice. Lord, please help Faith Community Church to be effective. This church is not perfect. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Your pastor is not perfect either. But we also should look at this and say this is something that keeps us accountable. We need to be a church that operates in these ways. And many more. These are things that I just listed. With listening to God's voice in mind, I want us to consider something with this whole series that we've gone through regarding the grace of giving. I want to just encourage you as families or as homes to sincerely just stop and pray and say, Lord, you've blessed us with these resources. How do you want us to use them? to be mindful of that not just going through the flow as you're budgeting or you're doing your finances but Lord these are resources you've given me how do you want us to use them consider even as you budget your expenses maybe budget things you are feeling God is saying to you Habakkuk 2 says to write down a plan And so as you pray about these things as a family or as a home, what what are you sensing that God is saying about the resources that are in your care that you are stewarding? What is God saying about those? Write it down because we'll forget it like the next day. This was convicting for me. This is from Tony Evans. It says, Statistics typically report that the average local church is supported by 20% of its members and that the average Christian gives less than 3% of their income to the Lord. And then Tony says, many Christians suffer for what he calls cirrhosis of the giver. <laughs> It says, and while generally paralysis sets in, and when we reach for the wallet or purse to support the ministry of one's church, it says this disease amazingly is healed and disappears when we go to the mall, or we go to the movies, or we go to restaurants, or we're buying whatever. All of a sudden, we don't have that anymore. I felt like that was convicting for me. I can spend my money in a lot of places, and we can spend it quickly, can't we? But to be more diligent about, Lord, what do you want to do with the resources that you have given me? I want you to hear this couple's testimony about how they prayed through this very thing.
1: My mom and dad taught myself and my brother the principles of tithing when we were real young. In fact, I remember having this little fireman's jar with uh, the hat was the lid. And, um, and there I kept my money as newlyweds. My wife, Heather, and I practiced tithing as well. And during those early years of our marriage, it's difficult to give the tithe because you, you want that money to go towards paying off your school debt, uh, building a new home.
2: We had a plan. We wanted to um, be debt-free, but we always tithed. That was one thing that was not a compromise for us.
1: We had seen the faithfulness in the Lord with our current giving that was above time just made us naturally want to give more. A few years ago, I set a goal of being a reverse tither.
2: So reverse tithing is living on 10% and giving 90% back to the Lord.
1: Eight or so years ago, we felt the Lord had given us a particular number.
2: There were feelings of nervousness, there was anxiety.
1: That was definitely our first year that we thought We're not going to make it. We're going to have to borrow money to make it throughout the year due to my seasonal business.
2: But we just trusted the Lord in that and just knew that he wouldn't give us that idea without giving us his grace in it.
1: I remember writing on my budget sheet, the Lord's house before my house. Surprisingly, we made it to spring. The money was there. My wife and I joked, the Lord had to cook the books. How did we make it? A year later, we were able to visit where the project money went.
2: We saw what it actually did for the people of that community, and it really ignited something in us to do more.
1: Paul talks about using our bodies as a living sacrifice. That is pure and perfect worship.
2: Our generosity, our finances, what we can give back to the Lord is a form of worship. We want to worship our King with our finances
1: feel like the steps getting there are simple be faithful with a little so you can be faithful with a lot this year we've set a goal of 40 percent 40 percent of what we make we want to give it to the lord as worship
2: matt and i have taken baby steps over many years and just continue to say yes lord use us
1: when we feel a prompting we're going to say lord we're raising it up again and we're just going to constantly work towards that goal of 90 percent we need radical givers givers that are going to consider sacrificing their finances as much as a missionary going.
2: If people really grasp their responsibility in the Great Commission, working out their faith as they are committed tithers, as they're committed kingdom builders, the sky's the limit.
1: Worship costs you something. What are you leaving on the altar of worship?
0: Personally, I'm inspired by that testimony to sit down as a family in my own home and consider these things. And um, what does 2023 look like for the Wellers? And I'd encourage you to consider uh, doing the same thing. I do want to say this. um, Think kingdom here, okay? This isn't like, so tithe 90% to Faith Community Church. Um, There are so many amazing things that you can take these resources that God has given you and put them towards these ministries, toward these people that you're trying to minister to. I mean, faith is a part of that. We're your local storehouse where you come to receive ministry. But consider the missionaries we have on that missions wall. Some of you support missionaries that aren't even on our missions wall or connections that you might have. What does this look like as we press forward into 2023? How does God want us to steward these resources? And to remember in the midst of it all, this is a grace that God is doing in us as we pray through these things. As that couple shared, this is an act of worship. If God is going to be Lord over your life, it's not like he's got this area and then over here is my finances. He's Lord over all, and so how does He lead us? How does He guide us? And I have just a little bit of a filter that if you're just kind of wanting to know what are ministries that you can lean into or questions that you can ask as you're considering supporting a ministry, here's just some questions to consider as a filter. Does the ministry glorify God? You know, you can give to all kinds of things. But sometimes there's things out there that it's basically just a social movement. But where's God at in the midst of it? Okay, Does this glorify God? Is the ministry biblically sound and Christ-centered? Does the ministry advance God's kingdom? And then it's similar to advancing God's kingdom, but I think there's a specific thing with this. Does the ministry eliminate spiritual darkness? There are certain ministries out there that fight... The things that the enemy has stirred up. The causes that are out there. We, we prayed over the sanctity of life. Think of all these ministries that are fighting to eliminate spiritual darkness. I think of any human trafficking ministries that are out there. I mean, the list can go on and on. But then the last one, too, is does this ministry steward God's resources well? Well, if it's a huge organization, how do you know those things? Well, there's a variety of ways to go about that. And um, there's a website, I think it's uh, EFCA, where you can look at different organizations and how they steward their funds. It's right there on that website. But does that ministry steward the resources well? Those are some filters for us as we discern here in 2023. I close with Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. And I want to just finish with this. You can give all your money away, but if God doesn't have your heart, there's a problem. If God doesn't have your heart, I don't care how much money you give to good things, I want to make sure that your heart is right with God. Would you pray with me as we close? Heavenly Father, we thank you for how your word guides us, leads us, and instructs us on how to live. And with this topic of giving the last several weeks, I thank you, Lord, for your grace at work in our hearts and lives. And I think one of the most important things that could happen here today with this message is to talk to somebody that maybe's going through the motions but their heart is not in it. Lord call us to you. Help us to respond to the spirit prompting us, leading us to Christ. If there's someone listening right now that if you consider your relationship to Christ you don't necessarily know if you're saved. If you took your last breath today, would you enter into heaven or would you be eternally separated from God in a place called hell? The greatest giver, God the Father, gave Jesus Christ as a sacrifice to pay for your sin so that you could be set free and given new life, abundant life in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you desire that gift to be real in your life, then I invite you to pray with me in your heart and respond to the gospel. Simply say, Jesus I need you in my life. Father, I thank you for the gift of Jesus who came to pay the penalty for my sin. And today I'm asking for forgiveness of that sin and that you would cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Help me to walk in this new way of life filled with your grace give me a heart that walks in obedience to your voice obedience to your will today I surrender my life to you thank you for this gift of salvation Father for all of us as we respond to today's message remind us over and over that the resources in our possession are not ours. They're yours. So guide us by your Spirit on how to use these resources. We thank you in Jesus' name.